How's everybody doing? How are you guys doing over here? Yeah, you guys, oh, there's nobody over there. Oh. You must not have enough energy. Everybody just stopped right here. Couldn't make it all the way to that side of the room. Um, hey, we, I'm so excited. This is, uh, this is the first time we've ever done anything like this at the Woodbury Church of Christ. Well, at least in the last 13 years that I know of, where we're doing a Q&R, which stands for question and response, because I didn't want to put question and answer because that would imply that I have the answers that I don't. Um, but this is about the Holy Spirit. We are, this will be our sixth week talking about the Holy Spirit. I mean, six weeks. Can you imagine six weeks? Uh, well, I was telling the first service that I've got my sermon calendar in uh, my office, you know, everything mapped out for the year. And I mean, it just keeps going and going. And I'm like, either we just have to like end before we talk about everything to do with the Spirit, or we're just going to have to keep going and going. I don't know. I think we need to keep going and going because I don't think we've talked about the Spirit enough at church. So it's okay. Let's, we'll, we're going to dig in. So if you're getting sick of the Spirit, just keep that to yourself, although the Spirit will know and you're going to have to repent of that. Um, so just a couple things I want to do before I get started. First of all, if you haven't been here, uh, don't worry about that. The questions are really universal, and I think that they're going to be things that you've wondered about. And maybe it, you're going to find some of these questions are pretty insightful in the sense that there are things that you didn't realize you wanted to know. You want to know, but you didn't realize you wanted to know, and I think that will be helpful. So I got great questions. If we don't get to your question, if you said, well, I submitted one, I dropped one in that box in the back, I responded to Instagram or sent you an email, it means that I plan on developing uh, a sermon around that question later. So it'll, you'll get a whole sermon, lucky you. And um, so I just want you to know that. And then secondly, I also want you to know that I am not a Holy Spirit expert. I did not get my degree from Holy Spirit University with uh, Holy Spirit emphasis major and my graduate degree in Holy Spirit, whatever. All I, all, all I have to offer is a deep curiosity about the Spirit, a desire to learn what the Spirit is up to in our lives and for our church, and then a few resources and some time to devote to that. So I, I don't want you thinking that like, well, this, you know, last word. I, I want this to be an exploration that we embark on together. Um, and then, you know, some of the stuff we talk about today maybe will, maybe will be a repeat from things we've talked about before, uh, and there'll be definitely things we talk about in the future again, and I think that's okay. I think after not talking about the Spirit for, you know, years, it's okay to be a little redundant, really get into it, really talk about what the Spirit has got going on in our lives. So I think that's okay. Right, Joey? You think that's okay? I know Joey's excited about it, too. So me and Joey and my father-in-law. All right. Number one, let's, uh, let's just start ourselves by reorienting us where we have been over the last six weeks. I'm not going to cover six weeks of sermon in uh, a few minutes, but I just want to remind you of like kind of the basics, and this is, this is going to be important to what we talk about later. Uh, we've taught you the Hebrew and Greek word for spirit, uh, ruach, pneuma, and uh, the ancient authors of the Bible, as they sat down they, to write, they knew that God was up to something in the world, but that you couldn't see it. Like, you couldn't see the finger of God working through human history, but it was happening. And they tried to figure out, how do you, how do you define that? How do you take language and explain what God is doing in the world, through people, in people? In, in how, what's the word that you use? Like, how do you give words to that? How do you give language to that? And so it seems to be... Um, that they looked at like the wind blowing the leaves on the trees or the branches in a storm. And they said, it's like, the spirit is like that. It's like the wind. You can't see it, but you can see the effects of the wind. And so the same word for wind is the same word for spirit. And I think that's so cool in the Hebrew Bible. Same thing with breath. 
You can't see breath unless you live in Minnesota and it's winter, but you can't see your breath. But if you stop breathing, the life has gone out of you. And so how do you describe that unseen force? Well, it's the breath. And so wind, breath, spirit, all through scripture, Old and New Testament are translated by the same exact word. It's the unseen power and presence of God that enables people to be and do more than they could on their own. That's the spirit. That's the way. It's the wind blowing us. And I, I've told you that for me, just an, a really helpful illustration of the spirit is that my life, I am, Patrick, is a sailboat on the water and the spirit is the wind. And sometimes humans spend so much time trying to self-improve the boat, but it really doesn't do you any good without the wind. And so as Christians, as disciples, we're trying to find the wind and have the Spirit fill ourselves. So the Holy Spirit is the unseen power and presence of God enabling us to do and be more than we could on our own. So let me, let's me let get to the questions. The questions um, centered around three categories, three categories of questions. You asked questions about what the Spirit was doing before a person becomes a disciple what the Spirit, what is happening when a person becomes a disciple, and then what happens after a person becomes a disciple. That's everything, by the way. That's everything. So all you want to know is everything about the Spirit. Uh, and so we're going to cover that <laughs> in the next five hours as we dig through this. Everything about the Spirit. I do want to say I am actually really grateful that people are this hungry to know everything about the Spirit. And really what is being asked here is how does the Spirit of God and our lives, what's that intersection look like? It, these three different stages of discipleship development before, during, and after. And I think that's wonderful. So it's everything, and we're not going to obviously be able to cover everything, but I think it's good to be at a church where it is true that people are hungry to know everything about the Spirit. So you should be grateful that you're at a church like that. Pretty comprehensive. And let me offer just one uh, maybe piece of advice or piece of framework that will help shape what we hear this morning. Because what we hear are going to be general broad answers, but the Spirit works in individual and unique ways. I saw way too many articles, or I've seen way too many articles studying this over the past uh, six months, where uh, the article title is, Three Easy Steps to Be Filled with the Spirit. That's not how it works. Imagine, imagine a husband reading three easy steps to make your wife happy. The wife might not be, feel good about being reduced to three easy steps. So the Spirit is as this, as this relational being in our lives to just say it's so mechanical and if you just insert the coins and press the buttons you get the Holy Spirit, I think is a misunderstanding of the nature of the Spirit. It's going to be individual and unique in your lives, but we're going to give you general kind of broad answers as we talk about this. All right, so as we frame this out, I thought it would be good to have a way to map this onto um, our experience. And so I don't know, maybe this is a good idea, bad idea, but I thought let's just explore the work of the Spirit in a life of like a generic person, just a random, faceless human being. What does the Spirit look like? Evidently, this human being has a beard, but what does the Spirit look like before, when, and after, before, during, and after, and just what does the Scriptures say about a spirit's, uh, the Spirit's interaction in this person's life, broadly speaking, a generic Jane, a generic Joe, um, just going about their lives. And we're going to explore what Scripture says at each stage. So let's start with before. What is going on before? And the questions I got related to that, kind of distilled into just two, are these. Does the Spirit work in non-Christians? And how does the Spirit bring someone 
to Christ? Great questions, great questions. I think it's fair to, for us to acknowledge that at some point in our lives, no matter who we are in this room, we were not oriented toward Christ. Uh, maybe you grew up in a Christian household like me, um, or maybe you were raised by a uh, wandering band of atheists and, you know, you just had no concept of Jesus. But at some point, none of us were oriented toward Christ. There was a point in our lives, everybody in this room, or maybe we're still working on it, where our hearts and our minds and our lives kind of became tuned toward Christ. At some point, we were just kind of doing our thing, whether or not we're little kids or whether we're adults. We're just living life, doing our thing. We're not oriented toward Christ. I think that's a universal common experience. That's uh, true if, if you grew up in church, true if you did not grow up in church. And Jesus talked about this kind of person. And he talked about it quite a lot, often just in passing. But for example, there's a chapter in Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus gathers his uh, disciples together. And he's like, guys, I'm going to have you go out and you're going to spread the word about me. And here's what you're going to do. And he gave them all these instructions. But he said, if you go to a town and people are just like brick walls, if they're not, if they're not having it, then here's what you do. You wipe the dust off your feet and you move on. It was a first century metaphor, people that wore sandals, that just don't, just don't waste your time. Don't spin your wheels trying to climb that icy hill. Just move on, right? Back up, put it in reverse. Get out of there because it's not doing anybody any good because there are people that are just these, like, they've got, like, spirit-proof vests on and it's not getting through. And so Jesus often referred to this concept. He's like, some people do not have ears to hear. That's true, right? It's true that just some people aren't tuned in. I think every parent has had this experience talking to their child where their child just, it felt like they were just this, this brick wall and you were like trying to get through to them and you were trying to get, draw out the behavior that you wanted and you were, so you're trying to create these ground rules, but what you really wanted was their heart to be oriented toward what you were asking them to do. I personally have never taught fifth grade uh, band but I would imagine, it's mandatory in my kid's school, I would imagine some people are like a fifth grader who doesn't care a lick about learning the flute and the teacher trying to teach him. I imagine that is just a rough experience that cannot be fun. It cannot be fun if I was a fifth grader in band and I couldn't care less. You mean I was, I was not going to learn no matter what. The recital was going to be really bad for everybody involved. I would move my fingers, I'd pretend to puff my cheeks, but I was not learning because I'm not interested in that. And there are people who have that orientation toward the things of God. Now, that doesn't mean that they stay there. And this is the crucial part about what the Spirit is doing in the life of someone who is not yet a disciple. Because all of us, every single one of us, at some point in our lives, there was a spark. Something began to change. There was somebody asked us a question or we witnessed an event or we experienced a tragedy where this, the brick wall began to just, it began to weaken a little bit or our hearts begin to turn a little bit and we begin to wonder like, well, maybe there is something there. Maybe that grandmother that I had that was always going to church, maybe there was something there or somebody gives us a book or there's something, something begins to soften us up, the, to till the soil, so to speak, of our lives. One, there's something, dots begin to connect and we start to become hungry and thirsty for for the things of God what is this what's going on what why wh what is it now if I could and this is something I've thought about so often if I could figure out the secret sauce that goes from someone not becoming a Christian but someone's heart being tuned to God they're not they're not tuned to God and there's just some if I could figure out what that is 
I, I think that would be the most amazing thing. You'll sometimes talk with people who say, well, yeah, they weren't really interested, and then they just caught fire for God. Like, well, what happened? What happened? Well, the Spirit happened. The Spirit happened in their lives. I, I think the Scriptures teach us, so I'm going to show you a ver- few verses in a second, and you'll see this truth play out. I think the Scriptures teach us that the Spirit is constantly offering invitations for us to reorient our lives toward Christ all the time. And often we're just brick walls, it's not getting through, but he's constantly offering these invitations. In fact, scriptures indicate that God arranges our lives in such a way so that we will have opportunities to be drawn to him. Paul the Apostle was preaching in a place called Athens. He was preaching to people who did not have a background of God. He was not preaching to people who had, you know, an idea of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. And so he had to, that's what he usually did. He usually started in the Old Testament and then brought people to Jesus. But he was talking to people who had no concept of the Old Testament. And so he had to try a different tact. And he says in this message to him, it's an amazing message. But in verse, uh, Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, it says this. He, this is God, marked out there, this is humans, appointed times in history. Meaning that he's saying that God wanted you to be born when you were born. And on top of that, he marked out the boundaries of their lands. God wanted you to be born where you were born. He did this so that they would seek him. And then I underline the word perhaps because I think this is so helpful because I think is that these are those invitations of the Spirit that perhaps this will be the moment that we react to the Spirit. Perhaps they would reach out for Him and find Him, though He's not far from any of us. There's these invitations, these signs, these signals that the Spirit is giving us. Sometimes we're tuned in, often we're not, but the Spirit is sending them out hoping that we reorient our minds, our hearts, our lives towards Him. We read about this in a sermon a few weeks ago, but John chapter 16, verse 8, when he comes, the Spirit, he will prove the world, that's everybody who's not a Christian yet, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and, the right, and righteousness and judgment. There's a reference in Acts chapter 8, 16, verse 8. I think this is so cool. There's a much larger story, so write this passage down and read it later. But the Spirit said to Philip, go stand near that chariot and stay near it. Now, there's a whole story there. The story, I'll give you the Reader's Digest condensed version. The story is, is that there's this Ethiopian. He is not a Jewish person, doesn't have a background with God. And he somehow has gotten himself a copy of the scroll of Isaiah, an Old Testament scroll. And he is lost. This is way over his head. And he doesn't know anything about what's going on behind the scenes. Philip is the one who is being directed by the Spirit. But here's this opportunity. Just go stand near that chariot. And Philip stands near the chariot and he says, "Uh, do you know uh, what you're reading there? Philip recognizing the scroll of Isaiah. And the Ethiopian guy is like, no, I have no clue what I'm reading. How am I supposed to understand it if no one explains it to me? And Philip goes, aha, this is my moment. And he gets up in the chariot and he explains Isaiah to them. And eventually this guy decides that I got to get baptized. Be out of Isaiah. I mean, I would love to know what passages he's reading. But there's this spirit sort of, do you see, manipulating us, the circumstances of someone's life to create opportunities for them to be drawn toward Christ. Sometimes we're ready for it. Sometimes we're tuned into the right radio station often we're not and that's what the spirit is doing in the life of someone before that they are a christian i would love to know what it is that tunes people's hearts but it's the spirit providing these opportunities constantly creating opportunities i think we could say it this way the spirit is constantly creating these opportunities or invitations for a non-believer to be drawn toward christ 
And the question is whether or not we are paying attention. Now, I've told you this before, um, but I don't know, maybe you weren't here the Sunday I mentioned it. But my grandfather, Ted Theodore, worked at a department store. That was all the rage back in the 40s. And uh, evidently, you know how they dressed back in the day. You dressed up. You, to work on the car, you put on your slacks and tie. And uh, much less, you know, to do anything else. And so I can just imagine my grandfather's in line at the department store ready to pick his paycheck up on Friday. And I just, you know, I could just envision, you know, him, you know, pants up to here and tie and hair slicked back and everything. And he's in line. And the guy in front of him is a guy named Lloyd, which is a very 40s name. And the guy behind him is a guy named Harold. So there's Lloyd, Theodore, and Harold all in line together. And they're ready to pick up their paychecks. Well, another thing back in the day, I don't know why department stores did this, but they gave them a ticket. I, I, I mentioned in the first service that it was a ticket to a dance. My mom corrected me and says it was a ticket to like a skate party or something like that. That must have been the fun thing for all the, the young folks to do back in the day. And so it was a ticket to a skate party that they were handing out with the paychecks. And so hand one out. Well, Lloyd, who's standing in front of my grandfather, just imagine the intricate working of the spirit in all this, is standing in front of my grandfather, takes his paycheck and and then takes the ticket and turns to my grandfather, Theodore, and says, here, you can have this because I can't use it. It's on a Wednesday, and I go to Bible study on Wednesday. And my grandfather said, oh, wait, hold on. Tell me more about the Bible study. I'm interested in the Bible study. And his best friend, Harold, said, oh, I'm also interested in the Bible study. And they eventually became Christians. They went to the Bible study, went down the... Pro- eventually became Christians. What was the Spirit doing? How cool is this? That it was, a mo- it was a moment in a line at a department store about whether or not they would go to a skate party that the Spirit was like, something's going on in the lives of these people. And the Spirit is creating an opportunity for Theodore and Harold to respond. Short story long, here I am preaching a few generations later. That's cool. That's cool. It's the Spirit working. We don't often get to see behind the scenes, but that's what the Spirit is up to in the lives of people. It may look like a mundane thing. It may look like a guy standing next to a chariot or three guys standing in line at a department store, but behind the scenes, the unseen power and presence of God is at work in the lives of non-believers. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, the language of being filled with or in this or the spirit in us is reserved for disciples so that's a little different we'll talk about that in a second and there are a few circumstances you can see in scripture where the spirit is doing very special things in non-believers that we wouldn't expect on a regular basis but this leads to the second question like my grandfather and Harold they were they there was a spark and they responded they reacted to what the spirit was doing in their lives but there are people who don't There's a terrifying passage of scripture, and this was one of the questions brought up to to me multiple times, is what is the unforgivable sin, or what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Now, for some of you, this may be a deep dive. You're like, whoa, what are we talking, what left turn there, blasphemy of the Spirit? That sounds like some crazy thing. That must be what Satan worshipers do, and you know, people who do say, that must be some weird, dark thing. Well, where this comes from is two places in Scripture. The one I want to show you is Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. This has been a terrifying passage of Scripture for many people throughout the years because it is unclear on the surface exactly what's going on. Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. This is Jesus writing, uh, speaking. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander could be forgiven. Now, it would be great if we just ended there, right? Oh, message of hope. Every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. Awesome. 
But then he goes on, but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Oh boy, what's that? Have you ever been in a situation where like, um, like I don't know, your, your sibling is getting in trouble or a classmate's getting in trouble, but you feel like that kind of residual guilt or, or you know, there's just like, you feel like, did I do something wrong too? I feel like when Christians read verses like this, they're like, oh no, have I ever, in, ever accidentally blasphemed against the spirit? Verse 32, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Son of Man was a way that Jesus liked to describe himself. So Jesus was like, you can say bad things about me all day long, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. And he's like, you're cut off from hope. Like, oh my goodness, what's going on there? Well, let me give you again the two-minute version, or we would be here all day. Jesus is, you know what he, was, he did all the time. He did miracles all the time, and they gave credibility to the claims that he was making about who he was. Well, this particular miracle, one of the many he did, was casting out demons. And so he was in front of an audience of people who had a vested interest in Jesus being wrong. Their worldview, their, their way of, uh, 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 their, their power, their sense of control was threatened by Jesus. And so if Jesus was right in the claims that he was making, it meant they were wrong. And so before them, when Jesus does these miraculous things, they're kind of over a barrel. They either have to admit that they're wrong, which is tough to do, or they have to deny reality. And so in this particular case, Jesus does this miracle, and they're like, well, whatever, Jesus, that's not really a miracle. In fact, he's, he's actually doing that by the power of Satan. He's doing what he does by the power of Satan. You remember a few weeks ago we talked about Jesus did everything he did by the power of the Spirit. They were saying that what the Spirit was doing was actually Satan. Ooh, that's, that's a bold claim. That's a big deal. But why is this the unforgivable sin? Well, if the Spirit is the one who is trying to create opportunities for us to be drawn into a relationship with Christ, and we're even denying the very power of the Spirit, what is our avenue toward finding Christ if we're denying that? I think it's kind of like people who, uh, you know, like if you're in an accident and, I don't know, gruesome, sorry, but if you're bleeding out on the side of the road and you, the ambulance comes and you're like, get out of here, you know, wave them off, that, that was your avenue of rescue. You, you, you're, you can't be rescued if you send away the rescuers. You can't, be, you can't be drawn to Christ if you send away the presence of God that is drawing us to Christ. It, it just doesn't work. Like, what in the world, are, what, what do you have left? I think it's fair to say that the religious leaders are making themselves deaf and blind to the things of God. It's like, uh, it's like not setting an alarm and being surprised you slept in, right? Or it's like closing your eyes while you drive and being surprised you got in a car accident. Well, of course, right? You, you, you eliminated those things that would have provided an opportunity for that not to happen. I think it's unforgivable, not because it's such a heinous sin, but because, it's un- because you've cut yourself off from the path to forgiveness. I think that's fair to say. But I also think it's fair to say that if you are worried that you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, it sounds like your conscience is still soft enough to say that you have not. I think that's, a, I think that's fair to say as well. So this dynamic of tuning in and tuning out to the Holy Spirit is real, and it's something that continues into our post-discipleship life. 
But let's say our generic friend doesn't tune out. Let's say he responds to one of those invitations. He, he sees Philip near the chariot. He stands in line behind Lloyd. He responds to, you know, whatever it is, an, an invitation, an opportunity, and he begins to be drawn into this relationship with Christ. So then what is going to happen? The Spirit's working on him. Now what begins to happen? And this leads to the second group of questions. How do you get the Spirit? And when do you get the Spirit? How and when do you get the Spirit? Well, this is great because this leads us to one of the favorite verses that we've ever had in the churches of Christ, and that is Acts chapter 2, verse 38. You just, you shouldn't get too far away from this verse because it's so foundational. It's the first sermon ever preached by these apostles after the outpouring of the Spirit, which we'll talk about in two weeks. First sermon ever preached, and he says, this is how we want you to respond to God. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I think Ephesians 1.13 says something similar. Having believed, he's reminding them, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now, I just want you to note for a second, note those two verbs, baptism or repentance and baptism and belief. Those are different, they use different verbs, but it's very important that we understand they did not distinguish between something that we have separated, unfortunately, today. For them, baptism was an expression of belief. It was the expression of belief. They didn't distinguish between those things and say, well, do I have to do this? And then they didn't break it down in that formulaic, mechanical way. They just thought, if you believed, you were baptized. It's all part of the process. You didn't get baptized unless you believed. It's all part of the same thing, and we'll, I'll show you an example of that here in just a second. But I think the way we should describe the difference between the Spirit before and the Spirit during is this. It seems like before the Spirit is working on us, and then when the Spirit begins to work in us. Before we, uh, you know, the Spirit's just trying to draw us to Christ. It's triage. It's a rescue mission. We're in the back of a paramedic's ambulance and they're racing to the hospital because they're just trying to save us. They're trying to get us to the resources we need to be saved. But after we become a disciple, then it becomes about our rehabilitation and restoration and redemption and renewal. The Spirit begins to work in us. And I think that's a, a helpful way to maybe think about the distinction between before and after. Uh, there's an amazing passage in Acts 19, verse 2. You should read through it, but it's the uh, story of Paul on his exploits in, in, in Greek-speaking, the Greek-speaking world, and he comes across these guys who have been baptized. Um, and he says, well, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And these guys are like, what are you talking about? Hebrew people had a category for the Holy Spirit. These guys didn't. They don't know what Holy Spirit, holy what? What is that? And he says, well, well, then what baptism did you receive? Do you notice how he switches verbs without even, like, they're indistinguishable. This belief in this baptism thing. And we could talk about that all day, but we won't. What baptism you, did you receive? And they're like, well, you know, John's baptism was a baptism about repentance, but it wasn't quite what Christ was up to yet. And so the only example we have in the entirety of scriptures of someone being rebaptized was Paul saying, hey, Let's do this. Let's do this right. And they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I think baptism is about becoming the type of person that the Spirit isn't only working on, but also in. And I think that's what we want. We want that. That, that needs to be, that is what the Spirit is going to draw you to at some point in your walk with Christ. 
All right, so let's say our guy gets baptized and the Spirit starts, you know, he's, he's tuned his heart towards the things of God. He's decided I am, I am in this. I have devoted my life. I am orienting my life around, around Christ as expressed in baptism. Now, now what? what? What does the Spirit do after I become a disciple? Um, here's where we get the bulk of our questions uh, that I got in this, in this series. So I got a slide here. I'll show you. Uh, this is where most of them, some of them I combined because they were very similar, but here's where most of them were. It had to do with what happens after. And I think that the reason we ask questions like this is because we really want to know what should I be looking for? What should I be doing? How do I tune in more to the Spirit? How, how, how does this work in my life? And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through each of these over the course of the next uh, two or three hours. So just buckle, buckle up. <laughs> yeah, well, Paul preached till midnight, so I'm no Paul. Um, the, I think it's fair to say that we could, we could summarize these somewhat, and we'll get into a number of these in vivid, living color detail in the upcoming series, but most of these could be summarized by saying, how do I get more of the Spirit? What should the Spirit produce in my life? And what things keep me from having more of the Spirit? Um, have you ever noticed that when you're in a new neighborhood or you're looking for a house that you've never traveled to before um, and you're looking for the street address, have you, have you noticed that you'll turn down the volume on your radio so that you can see better? Yeah. You ever notice that? Uh, there's been studies done about this, about like the cognitive load that the brain is under when it's trying to search for something and it needs to focus all its attention so it turns down the volume on something else, which is, which is why if... I am speaking, but you are focused more on the words behind me, you're going to have trouble with both of those things. You may get, catch a little bit, right? You know, children, we can, we can repeat back to mom the last sentence she said, but it did, we didn't internalize it. We can vocalize it, but we didn't internalize it. So there's this cognitive load that if you're reading these words, who knows exactly what I said? I could have said something heretical and blasphemous, and you were like, well, I missed, you saw it. there's a typo there, Patrick, and you missed a comma, and there's apostrophe, and that should go there. Because that's the way our brains work. Our brains need to be attentive to the task before us for us to be fully engaged in what's going on. That's how that works. Your brain instinctively does this. The Spirit is the unseen power and presence of God in our lives. And so, but what do we do? What, what's, what's, what's our responsibility? Well, let me say this. This is really important. The Spirit is sort of one-track-minded, and He is determined to develop in you the character of Christ. That's what he wants. He wants you to have the same patterns of thinking, the same characteristics, the same virtues that Christ had played out in your own life, in your unique uh, perspective and way. But that's what he wants to see in your life. He wants to see more of those things that we read about in Christ's life. That's what he is focused on. That's what his goal is. And he's creating avenues and opportunities pushing us in that direction. What do we need to do? Well, I need to work really, 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 really hard to be like Christ. No, uh, and this is going to be important. We'll talk about this in a few weeks. What we need to do, what we really, really, really need to do is we need to be tuned into the Spirit. Tuned into the Spirit. We pay attention. Now, there is an issue of willpower and self-control, but those, the Galatians chapter 5 says, are fruits of the Spirit. And again, we'll talk about that more in just a little bit. I saw a study this week um, 
that said it takes about three hours and 45 minutes for people to get sick of their extended family. Some of you are like, that is a lot longer than it takes me, right? That's the average. That's the average. <laughs> Some people, it could take weeks. Three hours and 45 minutes. So I guess the perfect extended family outing is about three hours and 30 minutes, and then everybody should just go home or go back, retreat to their own rooms and recuperate or whatever you need to do. I, I, I think this Christmas has been a tough Christmas for a lot of people because they didn't get to do the typical things. But I think a few of you are like, I'm kind of glad I didn't have to spend Christmas with Uncle Joe. You know, I've got to, you know, I'm not, it's not so bad. Um, but I think those kinds of scenarios, family in particular, it could be co-workers, it could be classmates, it could be whoever, but there's these scenarios in which we wrestle with these, these interactions where people just get us all worked up, and nobody really gets us worked up like family, right? Just nobody like family because we want the best for them, and they bring out the worst in us, and it's just like, ah. And even, even this week, um, I, I, there are moments where I'm like wrestling with this sort of tension of like, I, this, is, this feels like the right, just thing to say, and I need to call this person out, and I need to let them know what I think, and I need, of course, that's not my personality, but I, so I'm, so I'm, I'm laying awake at night thinking, this is what I should say, this is what I should email, this is what I should text, but it seems like in those moments, there's that voice that says, you should get that sense of justice, get, make yourself feel good, and just say the right thing, and just burn down their arguments, and you know, whatever, you apply this to your own situation, but you just, you just feel that satisfaction of proving that you're right, and there's that voice that's, I'm wrestling with these thoughts, and then while that voice is speaking, there's this other voice that says, well, you know, Patrick, how many times have you been that person? And what if you just, what if you just expressed a little patience? That would be really Christ-like, Patrick. That would be, you know, right now, maybe they're not always the enemy, but right now they're the enemy. And what if you showed them love? There's this other voice, and it's saying something different. And both these things are going on in my mind, my spirit. And I think one of them is, they're both asking for my attention. This one's going to feel good. But this one is going to make me more like Christ. This one is going to be in step with, or living by, or my sails filled with the wind of the Spirit. This one is going to draw me to Christ, and this one is going to make me retreat into my own flesh. I don't know what you do when you have those moments where you just need to sit and contemplate something, but I, I want to suggest contemplating, meditating, thinking through, reading, writing about, underlining two passages of Scripture about the Spirit. We're not going to read them in full this morning. I'm going to read one verse from each of these passages. But I think you should make yourself a cup of coffee. I think you should find a quiet place in your house. I think you should go on a walk and listen to the audio version of these passages. And I think you should dwell in these verses because I think that these are incredible. Read them and reread them and let them soak in. And the passages are this, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Paul just does an incredible job of talking about what life in the Spirit looks like. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. And by the way, just for you people that like this stuff, note the context of Galatians 5, 13 through 26. It's talking about relational conflict. Very important to note. But I want to read one verse out of each of these. He says in Romans, Paul says, same author, for if you live according to the flesh, I just want my way. I want to prove them wrong. I want them to show how much they've hurt me. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Oof, that sounds rough. 
die like, like I'll fall over dead? Well, probably not. Maybe. I can't speak for what God might do. But probably not. But did you know that the more we live according to the flesh, the more we go down darker and darker and darker alleys that, lead, that literally will lead us to death. The more we indulge in the self, the more we will find ourselves on the wrong end of what it means to be fully alive. Or we can live according to or by the spirit put to death that patrick come on jesus would be patient pete jesus would be gracious come on you can put to death the misdeeds of the body and you will live and he said something similar using a slightly different metaphor in galatians chapter 5 uh verse 16 he says walk by the spirit walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh whatever they are the the lust and selfishness and all that garbage and junk walk by the spirit listen to the spirit let the spirit fill the your sails let the spirit pull you along and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh do you see what he's saying is that the desires of the flesh are the noise that prevents us from hearing and living and reacting to the spirit It's so helpful. So that means our lives are filled with these moments where we live in step with the flesh or we try to find the wind and the breath of the Spirit. They're constantly, constant moments. You're going to have these today. These are going to happen today. Whether or not you recognize them, you're going to have these moments today where, is that, I want to do this, I want that. Or you can be filled and move in and find deeper and deeper connection to the Spirit. I think that's what Paul is saying in Galatians and Romans. All right. Lots more questions we could get to. We're not going to get to them today. Uh, Caleb is going to speak next week about spirit uh, moments in history. And then in two weeks, I'm really excited. I've been working on talking about the day of Pentecost, which is like ground zero for just the explosion of the spirit into the world. And it's just unbelievably rich and dense. And if you want to read about it, read uh, Acts chapter 1 and, uh, and chapter 2, and you'll be prepared for that. So we'll talk about that in two weeks. If you have questions, great. I think we may need to do another Q&R at some point down the road, and I would love to hear your questions. Put them in the box, send me an email, grab me in the hallway, whatever you need to do. But for now, let's, uh, let's determine that we are going to lean away from the flesh, lean into the Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful um, for these thoughts. Lord, we know that there's so much much in us that desires these, these things. We desire to indulge ourselves. We desire to indulge our emotions and our, and, our, and our worst tendencies. But God, you have given us the spirit that can draw us out of that, that can draw us out of that sin and that sadness and that frustration and draw us into life. And so, Lord, I pray that we would tune into these opportunities that the Spirit is placing in our lives and that we would step into the wind and the breath and the life of the Spirit. God, help us to be a people, everyone in this room, to be a people that are filled with, in tune with, in step with, living by the Spirit of God working in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.